0: Ryan asked me to read John 9. Um, That is on page 758 in your pew Bibles. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know... I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who will see will become blind." Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains.
1: I was going to kiss my reader as we went by in the aisle, but I decided that I don't know if that transition was appropriate. When Angela was in high school, she took an English class, and the teacher was uh, obsessed with Shakespeare. And so he walked them through several plays, and uh, one they paid close attention to was Romeo and Juliet. And he pointed out to them that in the stage productions of Romeo and Juliet, there was a character named Peter. And Peter had precisely one line in the stage production, and it was this, Anon. And that was it. That was his only line. He was on stage a lot, but never spoke, except for that one line. Well, this teacher, at the end of the year, took Angela's class to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival to see Romeo and Juliet, which was playing that year. And when Peter walked on stage... And said, "Anon, her class all <laughs> clapped for him. <laughs> Peter. It's probably the only applause this actor had ever gotten all year. But because they had been had it pointed out to them, that's his only line. They thought we're going to make this this guy's day. When you are reading stories in the Bible, don't neglect the contribution of minor characters. Um, they have their own stories taking place, often out of your sight. They're off stage." and then they appear in the Bible for a single scene. They might not even have a name, but their lives mattered, and then they showed up. They showed up for their scene, and then they're gone. The blind beggar showed up and took advantage of his short time on stage. Here's where we're going this week. If you put up the first slide. Next slide. Here's your themes. Blame. Blame. Weakness, knowledge, and bravery. That's where we're going with this. If you take notes, write those four things down. We'll leave this up for a second. And there are things we need to know before we get to that. Put up the next slide. First of all, you need to know the evidence of how much John loved this story. John did not diminish the blind man's contribution just because he wasn't going to be on stage after the chapter ended. Just because he was doing his one scene and then he was gone, it didn't mean that John wasn't going to pay attention to him. In fact, John spent more time telling this story than he did when he was telling the story of Nicodemus, than he did when he was telling the story of the woman at the well, when Jesus fed the 5,000. He spent more time on this story than he did on the Last Supper. John spent more time on this story than he did on the crucifixion and the resurrection combined. The only scene in the book of John where there are more words used to describe it is during the reanimation of Lazarus. And John had three close friends of Lazarus as sources on that story. As far as we know, the blind man was a stranger. John wanted the reader to get every nuance of this story. And that's important. It's important to know because... Show me the next slide. Because of messianic miracles. Now, rabbis of the time had a tradition regarding miracles. Uh, There was a division between the types of miracles that God would do through regular people and prophets, over here, and the types of miracles God would only do through the Messiah. Uh, Many people... I don't know if you know this, but many people actually claimed to be the Messiah during that time, Uh, in fact, for hundreds of years previous. I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, follow me. Um, So they had to have a way to test this. And so um, this is not a list found in the Bible, but the rabbis developed this list from an interpretation of some things in Isaiah and used this to test all the people who claimed to be the Messiah. Um, This is only a tradition, not in the Bible, but Jesus, again, is okay working with traditions. You remember we talked about a few weeks ago how Hanukkah does not appear in the Bible, but Hanukkah parties do, and Jesus showed up at Hanukkah parties, and he used them as opportunities to share who he was. So Jesus is okay working with traditions. Even if it's not scriptural, he's okay working with them because it's what people are comfortable with. So he uses the tradition of messianic miracles, and here's what they were healing a Jewish leper. In Mark 1 and Luke 5, this happened. A Jewish leper was healed. Jesus sent, in fact, this former leper to the priests. It's Jesus announcing himself. Hey, here's a healed Jewish leper. Go see the priests. Show them what God did. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen The Life of Brian. It's a Monty Python movie. There's, at one point, a beggar in in the film who's begging alms for a former leper, alms for a former leper, that's this guy. Um, the second messianic miracle was healing a mute, demon-possessed man. Now, um, the procedure for, he- for casting demons out of people was, again, tradition, you had to get them to say who they were. Who are you? We are a legion. We see some of those, right? We've, we recognize that from the New Testament. Tell me who you are. Now go away. That was, you had to get them to speak. Well, healing a mute, demon-possessed man could only be done by the Messiah. That one Jesus does in Luke 11 and Matthew 9, and he does that right in front of the Pharisees. Huh? A mute, demon-possessed man. Here we are. The third one is healing a man born blind. Not just a blind man, a man born blind. Verse 1, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. John makes a point of this. He was blind from birth. John assumes that his readers at the time are going to know why that matters. He was a man born blind from birth. And again, that comes out about, about half a dozen times in the chapter. Not that he's blind, but he's blind from birth. That's important. The fourth messianic miracle raising to life a person who had been dead for four days. Not three days, because that's boring. You know, they believed that the spirit, after you died, uh, hovered over the body for three days. So it was just a matter of stuffing the spirit back in, and they could come back to life. And there are many people raised from the dead previous to this in the Bible. Well, several. I shouldn't say many, but several were raised um, from the dead before, um, before Jesus appeared. But on the fourth day, the spirit was supposed to depart So if if a man was risen from the dead, brought back from the dead, on the fourth day or after, only the Messiah could do that. You remember what I told you that the only story John spent more time on this one was Lazarus? That's why. It was another messianic miracle. What did Jesus do when he found out Lazarus was sick? He waited two days. Gave it a couple days. Let him die. Let him wait. And he got there, Lazarus had been dead four days. It's a Messianic miracle. Third thing you need to know. Show me the slide. This is the setting. Based on verse 16, we think this is the Sabbath. Uh, Jewish leadership had just tried to kill him for saying, I am. Uh, Jesus had left the temple. He was out proving himself in the crowds. First thing he did after being threatened for equating himself with God was perform one of the Messianic miracles. He found a man born blind. Let's do it again. Some miracles Jesus kept quiet. You know, don't tell anybody. This one went public immediately. It was another announcement. Here it is man born blind. Turn uh, to the next slide, Coco. I'm going to read the uh, first couple of verses here John 9, 1 and 2. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This is a a painting by Duccio. It's called "Jesus Opens the Eyes of a Man Born Blind." It was uh, painted about 1300. Uh, The blind man, if you see, is actually appears twice. Once when he's having mud put on his eyes, and he turns, and he's washing his eyes in the pool. So it probably wasn't that close, but it's a scene. It's like a slideshow walking you through, like, here's what happened, and then this would happen. And I, I like this one, too, because the buildings behind him look like Escher drawings. The perspectives are very similar to Escher. This is a story about blame. Here's your first theme. Sin, as a cause of suffering, was common in the spiritual thought at the time. If you were rich, if you were healthy, people thought that either you or your family had done something to please God. If you were sick or you were poor, you or your family had done something to displease God. You'd sinned in some way. Um, And there are reasons to think this. There are reasons people might have thought this. Eye for an eye. Um, Karma was not a foreign concept to them. Uh, Reap what you sow. These are all things that we we see in the Bible. Well, not karma, but not the word anyway. But reaping what you sow is something you see in the Bible. Um, and that was a main consideration when people responded to imbalance, when it seemed like things were unfair. Uh, These people are in luxury, and these people are in suffering, the haves and the have-nots. You did something, so God did something. God was a reactionary, right? He reacted to what you did. Well, we know that rationale hasn't died, uh, many churches today preach this exact gospel. If you have enough faith, you'll never be sick. If you have enough faith, you'll never be poor. Um, uh, even in churches that don't follow what we call the prosperity gospel, um, there is a tendency to blame people personally for all their problems. Well, you, you, know, you caused this. Um, you, so you did something. You, know, you, you caused your own problems. And also, there is a tendency, unfortunately, to give deference to people who have piles of cash. Even in non-prosperity gospel churches, this is... And that's because that's a human, a human action. It's a, it's a human tendency. Um, but we need to recognize that this is a lie. That's, that's not how, how things work. Some problems are caused by your actions, and some luxuries are caused by good decisions, but sometimes it's the exact opposite. In Psalm uh, 73, which is uh, written by Asaph, I'll read a few verses from that, not the whole thing. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence." All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. And then he says, he backs off and he says, If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Once he was with God, he understood. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground you cast them down to ruin. Your level of health and wealth is not a measure of God's favor. If you're rich, it doesn't mean you're favored. If you're poor, it doesn't mean God disfavors you. The problem lies in believing that God is just, but forgetting that God is merciful and ignoring the fact that God is a complex being and the universe is a complex place. Show me the next slide. This is a, a painting by uh, Edouard Leon Eddy LeGrand. I want to hope that's right. Uh, it's called Jesus Healing the Blind Man. It was painted in uh, 1950, though it looks like an old master. Your second theme, weakness. This is a story about weakness. We can't assume the man's problem was sin like the disciples did. Who sinned? John 9, 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. So, Nobody. Nobody sinned so that this man would suffer. That's not how this happened. Let's camp on that for just a second. Jesus assured the disciples of two things. One, that sin was not the reason for the man being born blind. Sometimes people cause problems for themselves, but not this time. We already covered that bit. Secondly, there was a reason for the man to be born blind. What was the reason? So the work of God might be displayed in his life. Uh, my favorite uh, Bible translations by Richard Lattimore, and everybody here should run out and buy one immediately. This is a man who, who uh, traditionally tra- uh, translates things like the Iliad and the Odyssey, is a master in uh, in uh, the Greek ancient Greek language, and then turned his attention to the New Testament after he knew these things. Great translation. Here's how he put it: "So the workings of God might be made manifest in Him. In Him." Now, it doesn't specifically say God caused the man to be born blind and suffer. God could have chosen the man to be born blind. That's possible. Or it might have been something completely natural, like mom uh, had rubella when she was pregnant or a vitamin A deficiency, and so the man was born blind. But God, as a general rule, works with nature to give suffering a purpose. I tend towards the second idea that bad things happen, but God works in whatever happens to make his works known, to make himself known. Um, Also, and it's absolutely central to this story, Jesus says this before the man's healed. He says it before he's healed. He doesn't say, this man's been healed so that the workings of God may may manifest in him. No, he says, He's born blind, so the works of God will be manifest in him. Uh, Jesus stands in front of a guy who's always been blind, who's born that way, and he's going to heal him. I think he knows what's going to happen. But before he heals him, Jesus stops and tells his audience all about light and all about darkness. Who's a better metaphor for light and darkness than a blind man who's never seen light at all? This is verse 4 and 5. As long as it is day we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming, blind guy, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In his blindness, the man made God's work possible. Let me put this out there. If this man had lived blind, and Jesus had used his blindness to explain darkness and light, and the man had not been healed, the workings of God would still have been manifest in him. It didn't depend on whether he was healed or not. It depended on him being blind. Um, it's possible that the church could have begun a new mission of compassion. They take in the blind man. They take care of him. They throw out the old ideas about sin caused this man to be born blind and we should shun him. Maybe they, they flip and say, you know, we're going to do something new here. You know, flip completely on what they had just said sixty seconds before. Who sinned? Who made this guy blind? That that could have also been a way for God's will, God's works to be done in the man. Um, I've heard this called the gift of the handicapped. That this is the gift of the handicapped to the world. That handicapped people make the need for God's compassion an in-your-face reality. And in their own bodies, they make known the handicaps that we all have, but that most of us manage to hide. Uh, Show me a slide. This is my Grandpa Cargill. Isn't he adorable? Um, He was severely handicapped for decades. Um, He was a soldier in World War II and a brakeman on the railroad, so he started physically strong. but my family thinks that he may have had his uh, first stroke in his uh, early 30s. Uh, it's hard to tell when they started because they were small, but they were numerous. Uh, and each one made his physical capacity deteriorate. Um, he had to retire due to his health at 48 years old uh, from, the, from the railroad. Um, as a kid, I remember him going from a cane to a 4 prong cane to a walker to a wheelchair. Uh, pretty rapidly, pretty rapidly when I was a little kid. Uh, his verbal skills got worse and worse. Um, I'm the oldest grandchild, and I'm the only one who can remember him being able to converse with me. Um, my my cousin, who's two years younger than me, can't remember this. So it happened when I was very young. Uh, in fact, it got to the point where the only word that was um, was really clear was when he was watching Portland Wrestling and a bad guy did something, like hit someone with a chair and he yelled, Mean! Mean! That was the only thing you could understand. Um, uh, we prayed. We prayed and he was never healed. Um, eventually uh, his atherosclerosis got so bad that uh, circulation stopped in his limbs and they started amputating them. Um, they were preparing to amputate. He, they amputated one leg. They were going to do the other, but he died first. Um, so he was literally a man being whittled away by his illness. Um, we prayed. He wasn't healed. Uh, I don't remember him ever even improving. Um, grandma took care of him until the week before he died at 70 years old. My grandpa had the gift of the handicapped, he made God known through his handicap. He showed me patience. Uh, He showed me that reliance on other people is not something to be ashamed of. Um, And through grandma, he showed me what real service is. There was no healing, but God's works were made manifest in him because of his handicap. Um, That happened to the blind man. Before he was healed, God's works were made manifest in him. Uh, Jesus, of course, did heal him. He had a new role for him as a well man. This is verses uh, six and seven. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Show me the next slide. This is a painting by Domenicos Theotokopoulos. Um, his his friends. Uh, very wisely called him El Greco. Uh, this was, he was active from 1541 to 1614. This is one of three paintings he did of uh, the healing of the man born blind. Uh, the thing that I noticed in this as I was looking at these three paintings, I only have the one, is the couple in the middle. Jesus is on the left healing the blind man. The Pharisees are on the right arguing. But the couple in the middle, as you look at the three paintings, they actually change. In this one, it looks like an old man and an angel. In one of the other ones, it looks like an old man and a woman. But each time he painted it, they changed what they were doing. This one, they're full size. In one of them, they were so microscopic, they were about the size of the hand of one of the the Pharisees. And in another one, they were transparent. You could see the background through them, so they were almost like ghosts. And I'd love to ask him why he changed that couple in the middle. I don't know, maybe it was people he was friends with when he painted this one, and then they had a fight, so he made them very small, I'm not sure. Um, but that couple in the middle changed each time. I'll ask him someday what he meant. This is a story about knowledge. The story of the man born blind is a story about knowledge. After his healing, the man goes out in public, and everyone is very confused. And then starting in verse 8, I'll just summarize the story. Here's how it goes. Aren't you the blind beggar? yes, I am. How are you not the blind beggar anymore? Uh, Jesus booped some mud in my eyes, and I washed my face, and that's about it. That's his story. Blind beggars don't, don't change careers very often, so this was you know, shocking to them. They wanted to know how this happened. Well, where is Jesus? I don't know. Right there is one of the most powerful things the man said in his, in his whole life. I don't know. This is a man who has literally just become the first of his kind. He used to be a man born blind. Now he can see. No one's ever had that story before. And it's ama- an amazing story, but it was also really simple. The mud, the wash, I can see. And he could have easily made the story more dramatic, and no one could have questioned him on it because they didn't know what happened, they didn't know where Jesus was, he could have made it much more dramatic. Uh, uh, Jesus came, and uh, lasers shot out of his hands, and and uh, uh, he had a, a magic wand, and he waved it, and he said, Abracadabra, and then he flew to Baghdad on a magic carpet. Could have been anything. You know, could, His story could have been big time. He needed a job. Maybe he could have been the bard. He could have told stories about Jesus that, you know, were fantastical and, and you know grabbed his audience 's attention, but he didn 't do so. He told the story he had. he just said the bit about the mud, I can see i don 't know where he is. Did you know that your spiritual story is good enough? Um, my spiritual story is not very dramatic. I grew up in the church. Um, I was, it was the 70s and 80s, so I saw a few culture wars that bummed me out because I'm in the Willamette Valley and all my friends are very Willamette Valley about social issues, but we decided Jesus makes sense, and here I am. That's about the sum of my spiritual story. I grew up, I believed something, and here I am. And I can discuss theology, and I have a few gifts, but I don't have that pit of hell redemption story that you really want when you, when you have your testimony, I don't have one. Um, but guess what? It's enough. My story is enough. God does not ask you to have any story except your own. Mud in my eyes, I wash my face, I don't know where he is right now, but if I see him, I'll let him know you asked. And that story sets off a firestorm. He repeats his story. He admits, he simp- when he simply doesn't know things, the most meaningful ignorance ever. In verse 15, the Pharisees ask him, "How did you get your sight back? I put mud in my, He put mud in my eyes. I washed my face. He broke the Sabbath. What do you say about this man? Uh, he's a prophet, Understatement. No, he's a sinner. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. I know I can see. I don't know that. I do know this. But how? How did it happen? The reason they keep asking over and over and over isn't because they're shocked that he was healed. In fact, uh, putting uh, clay into people's eyes was actually a known treatment for uh, eye ailments at the time. There's a wiki page even where you can look up all the things people used um, earth and clay and mud for to treat. I mean, who knows how much of it worked, but they were used to the idea of the actual treating people's eyes with clay. The reason they kept asking is because he said he was born blind. That's the part that mattered. He's born blind, and now he isn't blind. There's only one guy that could do that, the Messiah, and the Pharisees didn't want Jesus to be that guy. They didn't want him to be that guy, so they keep badgering him. How? How? We don't even know where he comes from. Put up the next slide. This is a painting by Julia Stankova. She's actually a modern Bulgarian painter, and this one, I can't tell if it looks like a religious icon that would be in a church or if it's like something that would be on a postcard, like $10 for a dollar. I really enjoy it, though. There's You can see him washing in the In the in the foreground, in the background is the mud part. At this point, the man has to make a choice. The Pharisees are basically threatening him and his family. And he has to make a choice. I can say, well, he can say, Well, you're the experts. I guess whatever you say, I guess that's fine. Or he can stick to the story he has. And he sticks to his story. Which is why this is a story about bravery. John nine thirty to thirty three. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God he could do nothing. Don't read this as arrogance, where the man is like, you know, puffing himself up like, well, I'm gonna tell my story, you know. That's not what he's getting at. It's not arrogance, it's not cockiness, and it's not rudeness. The man had no reason to feel any of those things. He had a lifetime of reasons not to feel those things. This is an actual realization. If you picture the the, the blind man getting a thought bubble. The religious leaders know less than I do. They don't know. He's having an epiphany. That is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. Uh, Eastern tradition and Catholic tradition tells us that this man's name is Celadonius. Just a tradition. We don't know for sure. Um, and Celadonius means the swallow. You know the bird. Unbeknownst to me, Peter this morning has worn a shirt covered in swallows. An amazing coincidence, we'll call it. Names at the time really meant something. Uh, they described something about the person who carried the, the name. So maybe the man was small, he's thin, he's twitchy, he's birdlike. We don't know. We don't even know if this is his real name. But have you ever seen... Uh, swallows go after a hawk or an eagle. Every summer you see this right here in the valley. Um, often it's a kestrel. Once in a while it's a bald eagle. We'll be flying through um, a swallow's territory, and the swallows will start dive bombing him. Fum, 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 fum. You know, and there's no reason to think that this makes any sense at all. Um, it's it's completely nonsensical. In fact, uh, when a swallow is threatened, it instinctively thinks, I'm going to get that bird out of my territory. It doesn't matter if it's ten times the swallow's size, it goes after it, because it's defending, you know, it might have babies, it might just be a territory, but something is setting that swallow off, and they do it. They chase off the eagles and and the hawks. It doesn't seem like this blind man would have it in him. He has been weak his whole life, and here he's being called to defend his territory. I I know this is true. This is my story. I know that this happened. They keep telling him it didn't happen, and he knows it has happened. Um, remember, he's a beggar. All he has is his story. That's his territory. Where is he? I don't know. He's a bad man. I don't know about that either. I'm not big. I'm not that fast, I don't have talons, but this I know, I was blind, and now I see. Zoom, zoom, zoom. Defends his territory. Hebrews 13, 17, talking about spiritual leaders. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Um, Now, the Pharisees in John 9 would have loved the first part of that. Obey your leaders. They, they would love that. What the former blind man realized there, is that there's a qualifier. Who are your leaders? Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. He realized the Pharisees were not keeping watch over his soul. That's a qualifier. That meant they were no longer his leaders. They'd threatened his family, they called him a liar... And the swallow chased off the eagles. Applications, very quickly. First of all, don't dismiss background characters I put up the slide or people who play small roles in life. Next slide. even if the person in the background is you. Don't think that your story doesn't matter. Your story might not feel dramatic. you might not have a public presence with your gifts or with your power, but you're not less important than other people in God's story. Small characters matter, even if most of their story is off the main stage. Next slide. When you struggle, don't assume you're out of God's favor. Certainly you can cause problems for yourself by doing stupid things, but when people have difficulties, it doesn't necessarily mean God is mad at them. Your weakness may exist so the works of God can be shown in you. And that's even if the pain never stops. Next slide. You only know what you know. Your spiritual story is useful to God. Now, I'm not saying anybody would ever make up a conversion story to try to get attention and glory for themselves. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink but I've heard testimonies that are like reading a novel by Charlotte Bronte. They're fictional, they're full of flowery language, and they're too long by half. Your true story is enough. The things you have learned thus far are enough. Let Jesus continue to teach you, of course, but you don't have to have some magical epiphany before you get to work. Finally, next slide. God and no one else designs your spiritual life. When you read what you read, when you hear what you hear, when you experience what you experience, God is trustworthy enough to reveal truth through it directly to you. Um, in no way am I saying that you should ignore spiritual leaders or teachers because I am a spiritual teacher. Uh, I think once in a blue moon i probably say something useful. Um, and if I didn't think teacher input was good uh, and a resource, I would regret the last 30 years of going to church because I, I do this a lot. But, and, I, and I think that every penny we spend getting a new pastor at Kingwood is money well spent. But there are no gurus when you believe in Jesus. There are no gurus when you believe in Jesus. God and no one else designs your spiritual life. The blind man listened to religious leadership and realized in the end they didn't know what he did. And they didn't care about him. So the qualifier, if they care for your souls, follow them. If they don't care for your souls, God is sufficient. He will teach you what you need to know. The things God revealed in the life of the man born blind were enough to be getting on with, and he realized that, and he told his story. So let's pray and sing and go. God, thanks a lot for um, giving us this chance to hear a story from um, uh, the book of John, and I pray that everything useful we will um, hold on to and um, continue to ponder in the days that come, come from here. And uh, I pray that you will uh, be with us as we sing and be with us as we uh, go to our classes. Amen.